and a warm welcome to Something Rhymes With Purple. This is our 111th episode, which is appropriate because today's subject, well, you'll discover why it's appropriate. The number 111 is known as a Nelson in cricket, supposedly because Admiral Lord Nelson died with only one arm, one eye and one leg, one, one, one. So when you score 111, it's a Nelson. When we first mentioned this in an episode last year, a purple person, Ivan Hamilton, possibly related to Lady Hamilton, mistress of Horatio Nelson, who knows? Anyway, he pointed out that Nelson didn't lose a leg. But when has the truth or logic ever gotten in the way of the English language? That Sometimes would be a it does. good episode. It would be, wouldn't it? That's Susie Dent. You recognise her voice? <laughs> Susie, how are you? How's your week been? I'm fine. And um, actually, that, that was a little bit disingenuous for me because our next episode is going to be all about the illogical way in which English has evolved over the years. So, um, yeah, so that one fits really nicely into that. But I'm fine. Thank you very much. Just slowly, slowly getting used to easing out of lockdown as we are in Britain. A bit bumpy, though, I would say. How about you? Bumpy, very much so. And for a reason. Uh, I am going to sleep every night and not sleeping very well. I wake at about four in the morning, yeah, every too. morning. Me too. And I've been trying to work out ways of getting to sleep. And knowing we're going to do this particular episode, I have for the last seven days pictured myself at sea at night. Mm. And this has not really helped. But the idea was that I'd wake up at four in the morning and I'd sort of roll from side to side in the bed as though I'm on the ocean going from side to side. And I've been working my way through the ranks in the Royal Navy. This is a kind of memory game. Mm -hmm. And because of Lord Nelson, I know he was an admiral of the fleet. And because I have written this biography of the Duke of Edinburgh, and I know he was the Lord High Admiral, I thought, what are these ranks? And then I remember there was all that talk at the time of the Duke of Edinburgh's funeral about Prince... Andrew, Duke of York, wanting to turn up dressed as an admiral, but he wanted to be a full admiral, not a rear admiral. And I thought, which comes first, an admiral, a rear admiral, a vice admiral? And I didn't know. And do you know? Just take the admirals for a start. Just see. And what I, basically what I did was I started at the top with admiral and I worked my way down to the lowest rank, which I believe is midshipman. But let's see how far you can get. Admiral of the Feet in the British Royal Navy, that's the highest rank. What do you think comes next? Um, well, the Admiral, I thought, was assisted by a Vice Admiral. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Well, Admiral of the Fleet is the top admiral. Yes. And then you but have next the to him is an ordinary admiral. Yes, yes. And then who, you have a Vice Admiral. Who doesn't have a fleet but is an admiral. He is assisted by, who do you think? The Vice Admiral. A vice Admiral. And then comes a Rear Admiral. Yeah. What comes below them? What's the rank below a rear admiral? Uh, commander? No. Okay. Commander is a couple of ranks below. Okay. Commodore. Oh, Commodore. Commodore is next. Oh, actually, because that comes from the French commandeur. So it's linked to commander etymologically. Oh. And actually, I want to tell you where admiral comes from and rear admiral as well. Please do. Well, let me rattle through them and then I want you to explain where they all come from. So Commodore is next. After Commodore, below Commodore is a captain. Below a captain is a commander. Okay. And below a commander is a lieutenant commander. 
And I'd somehow thought that a lieutenant commander would be more senior to a commander, but no. And then below the lieutenant commander is a mere lieutenant. Below the lieutenant is a sub-lieutenant. Then you get down to a midshipman. So those are the ranks in the British Royal Navy. Of course, it's very different in other countries around the world. Just explain the origin. Admiral. Something to do with being admirable? Admiral is really interesting because it originally referred to an emir or a Muslim commander. It's from Arabic, emir, meaning commander, and it was used in different titles of rank. So not just the sea. You had an emir al-bar, which was commander of the sea. You had a commander of the water and so on. And the al at the end of Admiral simply meant of the if you like. So Amir al-Mai, I think it was, or Ma, was the commander of the water. But I think Christian scholars didn't really recognise the fact that al was simply a suffix meaning of the. And so they just added it on. As in Sheikh Maktoum al-Maktoum. Exactly. As in al-Maktoum. Exactly. So they simply added it on to the Amir bit and created Admiral. Oh, that is interesting. That's where we got that one from. And then the rear Admiral, I think, that goes back to the days of uh, naval sailing squadrons in the Royal Navy. So each naval squadron would have an Admiral at its head and they'd command from the centre of the ship. Then they'd be assisted by the Vice Admiral, if we said, and they commanded the lead ships in a battle. And then at the rear of the squadron, a third Admiral would command the remaining ships. And they were the most junior, really, because those ships were considered to be the least in peril, if you like. And that's why the rear Admiral, the one at the back, literally, physically, was uh, the most junior of the Admiralty ranks. But to lower the tone for a moment, I recall reading the memoirs, the wartime memoirs of the jazz performer and writer George Melly. Oh, yeah. And he called his book Rum, Bum and the Lash. And it was an, a naval expression for some of the things that they got up to when they were in the Navy. And I think he viewed the Rear Admiral in rather a different way. But anyway, it was a very entertaining book. So take us on to the captain. Well, captain is, is simply from the Latin caput, meaning head. And you've given us Admiral, you've given us Commodore, you've now given us Captain, meaning the head. Lieutenant, what is Lieutenant? So Lieutenant is just nice because I think from the pronunciation point of view, because we use the F and I think British speakers probably think that we are somehow then superior in our pronunciation to the Americans who say Lieutenant. But actually Lieutenant is closer to the etymology and you know how much I love American English um, and, and swim against the tide. But it's from the French Ulure. Tenant, lieutenant, mean the placeholder, because a lieutenant was there as a placeholder instead of someone of more senior rank. And it's thought that at some point in its history, a scribe or a scholar sort of got the the U and thought it was a V and it became lieutenant rather than lieutenant or lieutenant. And that's how that evolved. That's what we think. And actually, you know, we've got the whole submariners as well. That's a whole different story. So they too have got their own vocabulary, which is fascinating. Well, thank you for teasing us with that and not telling us anything. I was only interested (laughs) in the ones that I've given you. Admiral, um, so it's Admiral of the Fleet, Admiral, Vice Admiral, Rear Admiral, Commodore Captain, Commander, Lieutenant Commander, Lieutenant, Sub-Lieutenant, Midshipman and Officer Cadet. So, Officer, what's the origin of Officer and what's the origin of Cadet? And then you'll have done the complete gamut of the British Royal Navy. (laughs) Right. Uh, So, Cadet is... um, 
I always think of snooker when I think of cadet because a snooker originally was a junior cadet. But cadet, we think, also goes back to that Latin caput, meaning head. Um, so it was a, a little version of that, a capde, C-A-P-D-E-T, which is like little head. So again, a little head, it would be like a, a junior, if you like. And the French, of course, gave us officer as well. That was after the Normans, um, but based on the Latin officium, meaning an officer simply, or an office. Ah, a post, a position, and also the place. And also the place. Mm -hmm. These are as nothing really compared to the names that they give each other. So like any profession, and we've talked so much about this, there are, you know, different names, particularly within within the armed forces for particular people. They, they're normally very teasing nicknames. So those who patrol the sort of sea are in the Andrew, although quite who the Andrew was, no one knows. And alongside Andrew is Jack, of course, and that gave us Jack Tar. Uh, who else have you got? You've got the new sailors coming in and they're known as Muppets or Nozzers, apparently, and they have to go through all sorts of rituals, which probably shouldn't be gone into too much here. And then, of course, they've got the Bish, who is the Padre, also called the Sky Boson. Oh, I like that. Uh, the looking, looking up at the sky, yes. Oh, you mentioned boatswain. Do you know what boatswain is? Yes. It, that's one short for boatswain, isn't it? B-O-A-T-S-W-A-I-N. Yes, and because the boatswain, the swain bit, much like coxswain um, for the cox, coxswain, because it was an unstressed syllable, like so often in English, it became just a bit swallowed over time. Um, so you've got the club swinger, that's the PE teacher. <laughs> which I like. These were, I mean, I think on every ship, they'll probably have their variations on these. So these aren't gospel. These were from the sailors that I spoke to. You've got a Jack in the Dust, who was the stores man or stores woman, because they worked amongst the flour and the biscuits. Um, The cabbage mechanic for the chef. You've got the crumb brush, who's a steward in the mess, and so on and so on. So, you know, there are all those official titles. And then, of course, all the, the kind of tribal ones and nicknames too. Oh, and the the, um, the pox clerk was the STI doctor. Let's leave that one there. Um, when I mentioned rum bum and the lash, you went totally silent. <laughs> now you're talking about STIs as though we all know what they stand for. Sexually transmitted somethings? What are they? Infections. Ah, they yes. used to be called STDs in my day. Or was that something to do with the telephone? I can never remember. <laughs> no, no, you'd be right. Um, can you get to the bottom, though, of the Jack Tar thing? Why is it Jack? Because Jack Tar is very old, isn't it? I mean, that goes back hundreds of years. Yeah. And I know in HMS Pinafore, they're constantly referring to Jack Tar figures. In fact, the leading character probably is called Jack Tar. What's the origin of, of Jack and Tar? Well, Jack is used as a generic name for a worker or a average Joe, there's another one. Um, English is full of using first names in in those kind of ways. And Jack Tarr was the traditional sailor with the pair of breeches that were treated with high-grade tar. Um, And I guess that made them sturdier. So yeah, that's where that one originated. And you can go back centuries for the tribal language. So Grog, which we've talked about before, goes back to Admiral Edward Vernon, uh, nicknamed Old Grog because he wore a coat made of grogram, a thick cloth. Um, do you remember ages ago also I told you about the um, the two monikers that were mentioned in Francis Gross's 
classical dictionary of the vulgar tongue where an admiral of the narrow seas was uh, jack speak for a drunken sailor who vomits all over his friend where a vice <laughs> admiral of the narrow seas was one who pees into his companion's shoes do you remember i'll always remember those um oh my goodness the food um cackle farts were eggs one of my favorites always cheers me up that adam and eve on a raft can you guess what that might be uh, is it rhyming slang of some kind no. Adam and Eve on a raft. I don't know. Is it sardines on toast? Two eggs on toast. Not far off. Oh, very not good. Too, too oh, far very off. good. Um, I like that. Baboon ass. Don't ask me why. Corned beef. Oh, I can picture why. Elephant's footprints or Nelly's wellies, both slang for spam fritters. Spam. He remembers spam. Floaters in the snow. This is disgusting. Sausages and mash. You can imagine we're all having a bit of a giggle over these. Pepper was sneeze. (laughs) Sea salt was Neptune's dandruff. That's very clever. And Nooners, uh, not what you might think. A drink as the sun passes over the yard arm at uh, midday, although I'm sure it has other meanings too. So, I mean, that's just, you know, that's just a a little sprinkling of some of their tribal jargon. There's loads more, but I'll stop there because honestly, I could go on and on, but it would be great if the purple people who have, you know, worked on the high seas and know it much better than we do, it'd be great if they could give us their own examples. Oh, shiver me main brace. I was saying that I can't get to sleep at four in the morning. I'm trying to go through the ranks of the Royal Navy. Now I've got all these extraordinary words in my head. I'm never going to sleep again. Let us take a, a break and then return to the high seas and we hope that a bit calmer. This is Something Rhymes with Purple, and we're talking today about life on the ocean wave and the words that have come into our language from the sea, the flotsam and jetsam of linguistics. Flotsam and jetsam, Mm. what's that mean and what's it got to do with water? Uh, Well, the flot, you can probably guess where flotsam comes from because it's got the idea of floating, hasn't it, in there. So it comes from the Anglo-Norman flotte, to float. And the jetsam, if you know your French again, jeté, means to throw. So it is basically stuff that's either been thrown out of a boat and rejected as worthless um, to do with the wreckage that's kind of found floating or washed up on the sea. But it's used figuratively to mean things that have been rejected or discarded, miscellaneous things. Is above board anything to do with the sea, ships? Um, No, it started with gambling. So do you remember me saying Ah. that the board was a table originally, as in sideboard and as in a cupboard? So above board actually in gambling meant that you had your hands or your cards above the table rather than below, so you couldn't get up to any shenanigans. And I guess it became associated with nautical jargon, but it started definitely with gambling. And I think another one that people often associate with the Navy is the phrase under the weather. And the idea is that you would find the part of the ship below deck where actually you would be tossed about. Um, You would actually be kind of looking for the calmest place under the deck and you were under the weather, you would be below the worst of the storm and, you know, possibly recovering from the seasickness that you were experiencing above. Somebody who worked on one of these big liners told me that when they have an emergency, they go to all the cabins and they always have to look in the cupboards because when the sea gets very tempestuous, passengers, I, I would I would go on board, I'd go up to be nearest the ships, mm. you know, the, the rescue boats, but the passengers, apparently some of them, hide in their cupboards, in their cabins. Can you imagine? Ooh. 
They feel safer there. Oh, shiver me timbers. Um, oh, shiver me timbers. That's a good one. Well, is that, that, that sounds like pirate talk. Shiver me timbers, yes. Yeah. So the timbers were obviously the wooden planks that held the ship together. And if they shivered, they would kind of split um, because shiver can also mean to kind of splinter. So that is nautical in origin. Yes. What about cut of one's jib? The cut of my jib. Is that a nautical yeah, one? Yeah, the cut of one's jib goes back to the 19th century, this. And the jib is the triangular sail that stretches from the foretop mast. I always think it's probably something like foretop mast to the jib boom. And it was important because the nationality of a ship could be recognised by the cut and the number of these sails long before they came close enough for their flag to be recognised. So if an enemy ship came close and they saw the cut and the shape and the design, the number, etc. of those triangular sails, they could be identified as enemies in time. So you might say, I don't like the cut of their jib. Oh, I love mm. that. Are there any other everyday phrases that are made into mainstream English that have a kind of nautical origin? Well, there are so many, aren't there? We talked about just how many naval and nautical idioms are within English. But listless is one that I like. I actually think listless is a rather beautiful world word. But it refers to a ship that sits in the water and there's no wind to make it list. Uh, or to make the sea swell, so you literally are just a bit kind of immobilised. Um, so I like that one. Plus you've got loose cannon, you've got whelmed and underwhelmed and overwhelmed, and to be whelmed just meant to be capsized. And because we like to big things up, we added under and over, over first and then under. So, so the idea of being overwhelmed is to do with the, the ship, of capsizing in a ship. Yes. If you whelm, yeah. the, the, a ship that whelms yes. is capsized. It's capsized. Um, and then ah. I suppose if it overwhelms it, it kind of, yeah, turns over possibly. And you, you threw in the loose cannon because these are cannons on board ships that if they're not tied down properly in a storm are loose and run hither and thither. Yes. Uh, no evidence at all to support they're cold enough to freeze the balls off the off a brass monkey to do with cannons and cannonballs stacked in a pyramid. That seems to be a popular myth. So before anyone throws that one in, I think we we have, unfortunately, because it's such a lovely story. You've heard that one, haven't you? That actually when it gets really, really cold at sea, the cannonballs, the brass balls that are stacked in a pyramid contract so much that they kind of topple. But um, as I say, nothing sadly to support that. Um, you've got no room to swing a cat. Now, again, popular myth will tell you that actually the cat in question is a cat of nine tails, the horrible Ooh. tool of punishment. But the dates don't work for that. So it's possible, but the dates don't really make it plausible. And unfortunately, they did used to treat, well, people still do, but they did used to treat animals incredibly cruelly. So it is quite possible that they would swing a cat by the tail. Uh, horrible. So that's where that one may come from. I mean, we've talked about turning a blind eye, haven't we? And that brings us back that to Nelson. That brings us right back to Nelson and his um, words to his flag captain when he was told to surrender during the Battle of Copenhagen. You know, Foley, I have only one eye. I have a right to be blind sometimes. And he raises his telescope to his blind eye and says, I really don't see the signal. And of course it worked. And a whole nation very much admired the cut of his jib. Well, I think, look, we began with Nelson, given that this is our 111th episode and 111 in cricket is known as a Nelson. And we've ended up with 
Nelson and his blind eye. So I think that wraps up the sea for this week. Did we ever, um, t- just to interrupt, did we ever talk yeah. about showing a leg and a son of a gun? Two of my favourite nautical idioms. Apologies to the regular purple people because they probably have heard this before, but I just think they're pretty amazing. So son of a gun was a child conceived on board a ship, perhaps beneath the gunwale. And so perhaps of uncertain paternity when wives and lovers were allowed on board. And along the same theme, to show a leg is said to go back to the instruction in the morning to get all the sailors up and out. And whoever was in the cabin bed would show a leg. And if it was hairy, they were instructed to get out and get to work, whereas wives and partners could snooze on. I love the way you've kept the best to last. <laughs> you know so much and you just throw that in as a little bagatelle at the end of our nautical uh, life on the ocean wave. Thank oh, you, Susie so Dent. More. You're brilliant. Uh, well, there are so many more. And if there are particular ones you want to ask about, please get in touch. Purple people, you just uh, contact us here. It's purple at something else.com. Who has been in touch with us this week, Susie? My goodness, we've had lots and lots of um, emails. So thank you to everybody who sent them in. Um, do you remember we talked in a recent episode about rediscovering an item that you thought you'd lost and the joy therein? And I think the word that I came up with was uh, retrouvaille. Um, I think it was. Yes. Lucy Georges, who wrote to tell us that she'd found something in her sewing cupboard that she'd previously thought was lost. And so retrouvaille, strictly speaking in French, is the joy of reunion. But I think we wanted something a little bit more specific and something that covered an object. Well, as always, our fab listeners have come to the rescue. So Daniel Teague from Essex proposes um, discoveted, which is a combination of discovered and coveted. Discoveted. Mm. And Lucia in New York City has a couple of suggestions too. She says, How about Rememento, which is lovely, or this is very clever, Souvenir. Instead of souvenir, which means memory, is Souvenir because it has resurfaced, it has come to the top. Very clever, isn't it? Ingenious. Well done, Lucia, or is it Lucia? It could be Lucia, of course. Whatever yeah. it is, if you want to communicate, purple at something else.com will find us something without a G. Uh, a letter here from Amy Llewellyn. Hi, Susie and Charles. I've only recently discovered your podcast, which in many ways is wonderful, as I can immerse myself in binge listening. Oh, that's generous. Yes. Look, 110 previous episodes to get stuck into. She writes, as a speech and a language therapist, my job is about words and about helping children to be successful in their use of words in the minefield that is communication. As I'm binge listening and playing catch up with the podcast, you'll have to forgive me if you've covered my word requests in an episode I've not come to yet. I'd like to know a bit more about these words. Codswallop and tosh. (laughs) Codswallop and tosh. Well, can we help her? Okay, so tosh, no one knows where that comes from. My suspicion is it might come from Romany, but the dictionary will just tell you origin unknown. Um, There's a great colourful story attached to codswallop, which again is one of those big etymological mysteries. The dictionaries will say it's possible, but they won't come off the fence on this one because again, we are still trying to match up the dates and the records. But if you'll allow all those disclaimers, there was a man called Hiram Cod, and he produced one of the first glass bottles with a stopper, you can still get them today, that allowed you to keep a fizzy drink fizzy. And he produced what 
is supposedly called, or was called, Cod's Wallop. Wallop being a dialect term for weak beer. So he produced these drinks bottles. I don't know if wheat beer was supposed to be slightly effervescent, but anyway, Cod's Wallop was supposed to be Cod's version, Cod's brand of cheap beer. And because it was quite cheap and nothing on the real stuff, Cod's Wallop became a byword for stuff and nonsense. Very good. I love it. No Cod's Wallop in that. No Tosh either. (laughs) Any more? Well, stop press. We've had any of you watching Line of Duty, whether you were addicted, like the rest of the the, the UK, um, fantastic, fantastic series written by Jed Mercurio. Anyway, we've all been totally obsessed with this over here. And we had an email from Liz Meacham, who picked up on one word that's used all the time for the main boss um, in Line of Duty, and that's the gaffer. Very British word, it seems to me. And indeed, it does go back, Liz was wondering where it came from, it goes back to a very old word, 16th century, for godfather. So it's gaffer is supposed to be a little shortening of godfather. And there was one, gamma, G-A-M-M-E-R, for godmother as well. So quite how, I suppose godfather maybe was used figuratively, much might be used in the mafia, for someone who is, you know, above everyone else, or at least is prized or special in some way. And then eventually it became used for the boss. That's very ingenious and, and interesting. Chief electrician in a in a TV uh, or film yeah. production, of course. So a gaffer is a godfather mm. originally, and a gamma was a godmother. Was a godmother. Are you a godparent? I am twice over, three times over, in fact. Yeah, exactly. It's always difficult to remember. <laughs> Are you a good godmother? I think I was reasonably good until they grew a little bit older, and then I seem to have not become become not very good. How about you? I'm hopeless. I've got so many godchildren. Um, I mean, it's extraordinary. And I should do what the great playwright Sir Noel Coward would do, because he had a lot of godchildren, and I should send them a card on my birthday, because at least I could remember that. (laughs) Good. What three words have you got to introduce us to this week? Okay, I'm going to start with a slightly playful blend. Um, It's not a new one, um, but it's from, I suppose, 20th century New York slang. And um, you know, when people were made to smoke outside, when smoking was no longer allowed indoors, which actually might make it early 21st century. I can't remember when that happened. But um, you will often see people outside buildings, obviously having their cigarettes or vaping, whatever they're doing. And so people created the word smirting, which is a blend of smoking and flirting. So you'll be having a chat with someone else. You might have met someone else out on your smoking uh, forays and you might be smirting away. I like smirting. That's good. I've been watching the past year or so, I've been watching a lot of old movies from the the 30s, 40s, 50s. And in every scene, everyone is smoking. And old television programmes from the 1950s. People taking part in panel games, people doing interviews, they're all sitting there smoking. I'm making my way through the crown and I just feel so sorry for actors like Helena Bonham Carter or, uh, you know, all, all the others actually because it's just constant smoking. It actually makes, now it makes me feel quite sick watching it. It's very strange, isn't it? The way that we've we've changed. Anyway, um, this one is for drinkers. It doesn't include you, um, Giles. I just like the sound of this one. It's nipitatum and a nipitatum is an especially strong drink. So... We might, if we're sort of in shock or just in need at the end of a day, you might want a nipitatum or two. I like that. I need a nipitatum just to give, lift the spirits. Yep. Oh, yes. And speaking of that, this is, I just love the sounds of these. This was old English dialect for the three drafts that you could pour from a keg or a jug of beer. 
So I'm sticking with alcohol for this one. And it's the Neckham, the Swinkum, and the Swankum. <laughs> <laughs> and then you Sinkum, obviously. But Neckham, Swinkum, Swankum. I love it. Neckham, Swinkum, Swankum. How do you spell those? Uh, N-E-C-U-M. S-W-I-N-K-U-M and Swankum. In fact, yeah, what am I talking about? Neckham should come last. It should be Swinkum, Swankum, Neckham, but it's not. The Neckham is the first, the Swinkum is the second, and the Swankum is the third. But the vessel with the pestle has the brew that is true. That's true. In my book. (laughs) And that leads me to my verse, because next week I know, we've already planned our uh, next week, we're going to talk about, as you mentioned, those impossible things that don't seem to make any sense in the English language and why they don't make sense. And the ones we think don't make sense, some of them do. And that reminded me of the impossibility of really getting on top of plurals when it comes to the English language. We'll begin with a box, and the plural is boxes. But the plural of ox becomes oxen, not oxes. Then one fowl is a goose, but two are called geese. Yet the plural of mouse should never be meese. You may find a lone mouse or a nest full of mice. Yet the plural of house is houses, not heiss. Mm-hmm. It's all incomprehensible, isn't it? It is. Uh, except some of it does have rules connected with it, and those are some of the things we're going to explore next time. We are. In the meantime, though, thank you so much for listening, as always. Please do get in touch. Purple at somethingelse.com. Uh, something Rhymes with Purple is a Something Else production. Um, it was produced by Lawrence Bassett with additional production from Harriet Wells, Steve Ackerman, Ella McLeod, Jay Beale, and... I've got a question for this fellow. Gully, tell me, if the plural of man is always called men, why shouldn't the plural of pan be called pen? Mm-hmm. Come on, Gully, give us the answer. Gully?